Well, over the last couple of weeks, we've started this series I've entitled 10 Marks of a Healthy Church. And we're not looking at this list of 10 things to say, well, here's what we ought to be doing to be healthy. Instead, this is more of a description of what healthy churches do because they're healthy. And we first of all looked at the foundation. A healthy church says our foundation is none other than Jesus Christ. We're built on him. We're based on him. We're founded on him. He's our, he's our leader. He's in charge. He's the boss. All those kind of things. The second thing we talked about was the idea that a, a healthy church is a praying church, a church that spends time together praying, that prays individually, that prays without ceasing, that prays on a regular basis and continues to pray and pray and pray. Now, the third thing I want you to see this morning, that you see the title on the screen, is that we experience spiritual growth. Uh, we're going to look at a, a passage from Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. Now, if you know much about Corinth, Corinth was an interesting place in that it was a ultimately uh, was one of the most pagan cities in the ancient world. And, and by the way, to be known as the most pagan city in the ancient world took a lot because most of them were known as pagan cities. They did some pretty despicable things in their settings, uh, whether in worship to pagan gods or in the culture uh, at large. But out of that paganness... God had saved himself a people. He had sent Paul uh, to that city. He actually went there by himself initially and shared the gospel, the truth that Jesus saves, that he wants to transform lives, he wants to change lives, he wants to take us on a new direction, new path. But these people, and I think like many followers of Christ, they struggled with this idea of consistency, of growing spiritually on a regular basis, of being in tune with God, or as we might call it, or as he would call it, growing up in Christ. We struggle to grow up sometimes. Uh, we'll tell our kids, would you just grow up? And then they grow up and we tell them what? Would you not grow up? Can you tell your kid for a while? Then we tell maybe it's our spouse in an argument. Would you just, yeah, we struggle with growing up, don't we, in life. And these people are doing that. And based on who they were in the world, though, because they were at this prime Roman city, they really believed that they were something, that they were all that, if you will. Uh, and, and that leads Paul to ask a question. And we're going to look at verse 16 real quickly, and we're going to come back to the beginning of the chapter and go all the way through it. But the question I want you to kind of hold in your mind this morning is this question. Paul asked them, do you not know that you are God's temple and that the spirit or God's spirit dwells in you. I believe, leave the question up for just a minute. I believe healthy churches are aware of this question, but also we ask ourselves that question on a regular basis. Do we not realize who we are? Do we not understand who dwells within us? Do we not know what God has done and is doing and will do in us as we follow him? We grow spiritually on a regular basis, sometimes fast, sometimes slow, sometimes in between. But we're asking ourselves that question. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the whole chapter. So we're not going to read the chapter in advance. We're going to read it as we go through uh, for sake of time. But I believe in this chapter we're going to discover, I want you to see five things that healthy churches know in the process of being healthy. The first one is this. We know how to be godly servants. We know how to serve. Look at verse 1 through 4. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. 
But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are not you are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Now, before we dig too deep into this, let me draw your attention to one important word right there in verse 1. He is not speaking to pagans. He's not speaking to lost people. He's not speaking to people who don't know Jesus, but he's speaking to who? Brothers. The word that he used there is a very specific Greek word. It's a Delphoi. If you've ever heard of the town of or city of Philadelphia, Delphia is a Greek word that means brothers. That's why they call it the city of what? Brotherly love. And of course, the cowboy fans hate them, but that's a different issue we won't go into today. But here's the reality. He is not speaking to the world. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the followers of Christ. And he says to them this important statement. Catch this. He says, I, 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 I am not confronting you because you're lost. I'm confronting you because you're saved and you're not growing in your faith. He says, you've got an issue. We need to deal with it. And he evokes a memory. I love memories, don't you all? Sometimes the older I get, the more I have old memories. Just because I'm old. I've been keep, I have a staff member now who tells me all the time I'm old. I just love having that around. It's just it's a blessing, I'm just going to tell you. Anyway, here's the thing. He's talking to these folks saying, look, don't you remember when I came there the first time? And they're going, oh, yeah, we remember when you walked into town. We were kind of thinking, this guy crazy. He's probably somewhere over in the Middle East. We don't know what he's talking about. He's talking about this this one God and his son Jesus and this guy who died on a cross and he he's alive now and all this. And what Paul did initially was he fed them with milk. You know, all of us who've had parents, you know, we always get our newborn baby, we bring him home and we, we prepare him a T-bone steak and, and go to feeding him, right? No, we feed him with what? Milk. And then we finally get some solid food and we go, oh, that's a lot better. We start shoving strained peaches and strained carrots and strained green beans and strained peas and all those nasty things that you go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm feeding my kid this stuff. You know with me? But they eat that stuff and then they go on to what? And eventually they go, I think I'd like a steak. And you're going, hmm, you got some money? But we feed them a what? They steak. They go, that's good stuff. That's natural, right, for a child to grow up and begin to eat other things and broaden their horizon. The same thing is true in the spiritual realm. Paul is saying, don't you remember when I fed you milk? That was right. Because what? You were new. You were new in the faith. You couldn't handle the heavy stuff. You couldn't handle the big stuff. You couldn't handle the theological issues. You couldn't handle the stuff. And even now, though, guess what? You're not ready. Can you imagine bringing a baby home? And at 12, still feeding them formula and strained peaches, you'd think something's wrong. You'd go to the pediatrician long before 12 and say, what is wrong with this kid? Why don't they eat something else? They're not maturing. These people were not ready. And by the way, Paul says, you're still not ready to move on to the greater spiritual things. But they are not healthy. And the problem is this. It's not with their appetite. They're still eating. The problem is with their spiritual choices. Instead of behaving as the saints that they really are, they're behaving as the pagans they used to be. 
They're not moving on spiritually. They're living, and I would even say they're relishing things like jealousy and strife and conflict and stirring things up and messing things up. Those folks he's speaking to says, y'all got an issue. And you're acting like humans, not spiritual beings that you now are. And the essential problem they had is they had divisions in the church. And you read the stories of 1 Corinthians and you kind of go, oh my goodness, I would hate to go to church there with that stuff. I mean, people stealing spouses and people fighting over Lord's Supper and fighting over this and going, you just go, what is wrong with y'all? They had been taught well. You know who the church planner that started the church was, right? It was Paul, okay? I mean, they didn't have like a slouch guy show up and didn't know what he's doing. Paul started that church. But they had not purged their lives of jealousy and strife, and they weren't able to move on to the meat of the word. Spiritually growing churches know this. We know how to be servants. We know how to say, God, we're going to follow you. We're going to be under your lordship. We're going to be under your leadership. We're going to be following you. We're going to serve in you. Second, Spiritual growing churches know how God's church church is structured. Look at verses 5 to 9. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Notice he didn't say who is Paul. He says, what is Paul? I find that interesting. Servants. Here's his answer. Servants. If you don't mind writing in your Bible or underline that word, however it is in your translation. Servants through whom you believed, through whom you faithed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered. But who gives the growth? God does. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gave gives the growth. He who plants and he whose waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. The second thing a healthy church knows is how the church is structured. Now you're going, what does that mean? The word that's translated servant there in verse 5 is the Greek word, that we typically translate as deacon. So you could translate that as uh, servants, uh, deacons through whom they believe. But that's not the, the role here. It's not the idea of the office of deacon. It's the idea of the role, R, not R-O-L-L, R-O-L-E, role of deacon. What is a deacon supposed to do? He is a what? A servant, a servant to the broader body of Christ. That's what he's talking about here, saying, so who are these folks? What did they do? What was their role? What was their place in the service? In other words, these are people who God said, I'm going to send to these people at whatever stage they're at at the point to the fellowship to be ministering to them so they could move from being milk drinkers to being meat eaters spiritually. You know with me? To give them along the road. God sends people to serve each local congregation. Why? Oh, we've got to have somebody in the role. No. To help mature the body of Christ. Why do we call a student minister in the fall? Well, every church has one. We've got to have one. Wrong reason, right? We called one so that he can what? Minister to the children, the youth, and the families in our church. And what? Encourage them and help them to grow up spiritually, right? Same thing with a music leader. He's not here just to put on a show on Sunday. He's here to help people grow spiritually. Why is a pastor called to a church? To stir up trouble and be a problem maker. No, he's called to what? To help and teach and lead and encourage people to grow, how? Spiritually in Christ. So he would send different ones. Why do you have a Sunday school teacher who volunteers their time to prepare on their time? Oh, by the way, we don't pay our Sunday school teachers anymore. We, we cut that out years ago. <clears throat> Those of you who are new, sorry you missed out. But uh, they do it. Why? Because God's called them to teach, to encourage 
to help people grow up how? Spiritually. That's the goal of what we do. God brings all of these different pieces together so that we can do it. One writer said it this way. He says, if we live by God's word, if we act in in obedience to God's word, then God will bring the growth. Now, notice what happens. As a church is structured and understands how we're supposed to be structured, that God brings different folks to do different things and we all have different roles in the kingdom of God, then guess who gets to get the glory? God. And what does he bring out of that? He brings growth. See, a church is not supposed to be structured on tradition or political power, but on the people he gathers together in a particular location. Now get this, we're a little application here, but hang in there with me. That means that this local congregation very likely will look different from another congregation just down the street. You're going, what do you mean? They have a different God? No, they have different pieces that make up the structure of that church. You're talking about what pieces are you talking about? Look to your left, look to your right. Y'all are a bunch of pieces, okay? We're all pieces in the body of Christ. And this group gathered together has a unique shape, a unique ability, a new skill to do certain things that other churches cannot do that we can. And they can do things, guess that we can't do. That's part of the broader body of Christ. And a healthy church says we understand how we're structured. We understand that reality that we have gathered together under God's name to do the things that he's called to. Second, and kind of related, but not exactly, uh, this healthy, spiritual, growing church knows how God's church is then shaped. Look at verses 10 following. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Who laid the foundation at, at who, who laid the foundation at, at Corinth was Paul. But who is the foundation at Corinth? It's Christ, okay? He laid a foundation and, get this, someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with, now get the list. This is the building list. You ready? With gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. You notice there's a shift in the middle of that, okay? Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, there's a lot here to unpack, and I don't have a lot of time to do it, so bear with me. He's, we've already talked about the foundation of the church. We talked about that the first week of our series, that it's who? It's Jesus, nobody else. But here, what Paul's talking about is not the foundation. He's talking about the structure on top of it. He's not talking about sticks and stones and buildings, okay? He's talking about... Our lives. We all are building a life. Isn't it interesting? A couple gets to get married. They talk about we're going to get married and we're going to what? Build a life together. It's a perfect image of what we're talking about here. We build a life. And so the question is, is how are we building? And his challenge is, let us be careful how we build. Let's be cautious. What you do affects the rest of us. And what I do affects the rest of us because we're part of the same body of Christ. You know, I've got to tell you, we're not here to be entertained, though it's okay if we are. We're not here to hear good music, though it's okay if we do. We're not here to be inspired by great preaching. Good luck. That may never happen. We're not here to be blessed by amazing prayers, though it could happen. 
And there's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things, but we are here, get this, to build up the local body of Christ, to build up one another, to encourage one another, to, 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 to cheer each other on to the good things of the kingdom of God. We need to remember there's coming a day for every single one of us, every single one of us, a day of judgment. Now, for those who don't know Jesus, woe is you. But the rest of us, we're going to face the day of judgment as well. You're going, what do you mean? We're building our lives on who? What foundation? Jesus. But the life we build above it is either being built with wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones. What are you doing with your life? A church who's healthy is shaping their life to honor God. This day of judgment is coming. And there's going to be a day of fire. And I don't really understand all of how it's going to work. I've got some ideas. But the image we need to understand is this. How we build our lives matters. You ever get impatient? Yeah. Let me rephrase that. Do you ever not get impatient? All of us seem to struggle with it to some degree. You ever heard of William, William Carey? You know who William Carey is? William Carey was the, he's called the father of the modern missionary movement. Um, he was one of the first people in modern times, and it was the 1700s, but anyway, modern times, that went to another country to share the gospel. He left the United States, uh, or North America, and went to India, you know, way over there. And he went to share the gospel. He went over there and he served for a year. You know how many people he had reached in a year? Zero. How about second year? Zero. How about the third year? Zero. Well, he's a failure, isn't he? Three. How about the fourth year? Zero. How about the fifth year? Zero. Mission board back in America is starting to go, are you even working? Fifth year, zero. Sixth year, zero. It wasn't until his seventh year that he saw the first person come to know Christ. You go, well, he was a failure. No, he was faithful to his call and God worked in his time. We need to understand that the church that's healthy understands God works in his time, in his way, his direction, and know that we're going to face judgment on how we've used our time, not the outcome of those efforts, because God's timing is his. Fourth, the spiritual church, growing church, also knows how God's spirit stays with them. He stays with us. Look at verse 16. Here's our question we started with. Do you not know that you are God's temple, that God's spirit dwells within you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy. And get this, you are that temple. You know, it's really easy to sit here and read that verse and go, boy, I need to hear that verse. Man, am I really doing the things? Can I, can I can time out? That's not an individual verse. Look at it on the screen again. Throw it back up there for me. That is not an individual verse. He's not speaking to you individually. The you in this question is plural. He wrote a letter to who? The church at Corinth. He's writing a letter to the entire church. And he's saying, church, do you all, you all, I don't think he used you all. And he sure didn't use y'all. But he's, that would have been a better translation of the English here. Is do do, do y'all not know? Because he's talking about y'all, all y'all, all all of us. He says, don't y'all know that you, corporately, together, are God's temple? You ever thought about it that way? When we come together as the body of Christ, we are, in a very spiritual sense, God's temple gathered together in worship. Wow. 
And on top of that, whose spirit dwells within us? I understand. He, he's, he deals with us individually. But American Christianity loves to focus on the individual. It's all about me. I have decided. I'm doing. I'm doing. I'm this. I'm here. Let me tell you something. There's something supernatural that happens when God's people come together and corporately become the body of Christ and we experience the Spirit of God together. When that happens, as they used to say back in the olden days, Katie, bar the door. Look out. Something's going to happen. And then he gives a warning. Did you see it there? Don't you mess with my church. This is my paraphrase, okay? He says, if anyone destroys God's temple, the body of Christ, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. When you do those kind of things that are negative to the body of Christ and attack the health of the church and attack the body of Christ, look out. Spiritual, spiritually growing churches know the Spirit's with us and we don't want anything to break that up. Number five, I know it's a long message. Hang in there with me. Number five. And then the last thing I want you to see is spiritually growing churches know how spiritual growth actually starts with God. Look at verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he's wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written in the Old Testament, he who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, in the Old Testament, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that's Peter, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Finally, Paul reminds them of an essential truth. Spiritual growth starts where? Well, I've decided I'm going to grow in Christ. Spiritual growth comes as we respond to God and surrender to Him, and He instills in us the ability to move forward. It all begins, it all exists, And it all ends with God. They don't need to fool themselves into thinking, church at Corinth, that you're so wise, you're so smart, you're so experienced that you can create spiritual growth. How about go to India for seven years and wait for the first convert? I dare say most of us would have left after two years. I probably would have left after one. But the pathway to spiritual growth is not through effort. It's found where? When we surrender to God. When we lay our lives at His feet and say, I'm yours and you're mine. And the wisdom of this world is folly and the way to become wise in God's economy is to what? Become a fool to the world. Call me a fool to this world. He quotes Job and Isaiah, if you want to go back and look them up, about the foolishness of relying on human wisdom. It always fails. For a people living in an ultra-pagan world like Corinth was, this is a serious challenge. In some ways, 21st century America is a lot like Corinth. Our standards continue to what? Drop, drop, and drop. We hear people who are followers of Jesus suggesting things that they would have never mentioned 25 years ago now. 
as a possible pathway to live. And you go, what in the world? Welcome to Corinth. So what do we do with this? I'm alert to the time. The Cowboys don't play till 5.30, so we're good. We won't be here at 5.30. Well, you won't. Anyway, number one, we need to make a commitment. It says, I want to grow in grace. The first thing I think I want want you to see from this is that every one of us has a responsibility. And it's not your neighbor's responsibility. It's not your husband's responsibility. It's not your wife's responsibility. It's not your parents' responsibility, students. It's not your kids' responsibility, moms and dads. It is our responsibility to make a commitment to grow spiritually. This is on us. It's on me, for me. I'm not responsible. I'm, I'm As the husband of the wife, I'm responsible to my wife to a sense, but ultimately she's responsible for her spiritual growth. My goal is to lead her correctly, but she can say, I want to do what I want to do. I have to lead my children. We have to lead our children, but ultimately they have to do their own thing, right? We have to make that commitment. Beyond the initial response of the wound of the Spirit of God, we have to say this, I'm not just going to get saved, I'm going to grow up in Christ. And we have to answer the call of Holy God to follow Him, and then we have to go on through the process. You see, we need to not only be saved, but we need to find ourselves engaged in the process of being saved, of being changed, of transformed. We need to let go of the idea that all i got to do is walk an aisle, get baptized, and I'm good to go. That's the first step. You know, when you get married, guys, we don't walk the aisle. She walks the aisle. And all you do is... Stand in front of a preacher and get married, and it's all easy from there, isn't it? <clears throat> it takes work. It takes a commitment that says, we're going to make this work. And the only way out is for you to kill me or me to kill you. Y'all with me? That's the idea. That's why Peter said to the people he wrote, he says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The big idea is this. Just as a baby has to grow from from a baby to adolescence to adulthood, so too must we grow spiritually from babies to adolescence to spiritual adults. And that is on us and on our body of Christ that we're connected to to encourage us to keep going that way. That's why being a part of a local church is so important. People say, oh, I can just watch it on TV. I can look it on the Internet, and I'm good to go. You're missing, you're missing, you're missing out on the unity and the fellowship and the encouragement and the challenge and putting up with each other that brings about spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is never a stagnant activity. You're either moving forward or you're moving back. What are you doing? Second, carefully, carefully build on the foundation. We, we make decisions about what spiritual activities in which we're going to participate. We say, well, I'm going to do that. I'm not going to do this. And if we don't learn to listen to the voice of Jesus, here's what happens. We start listening to a different voice. Most of the time, it's ourselves. We say, well, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I want to have happen. Here's what I'm going to And it's about us. Can I, t- can I just tell you with as much love and compassion as your pastor as I can, it is not about you. It is not about me. It's all about Jesus. Well, I don't like that. I want this. I want that. I want that. I think Jesus' response is, so what? Here's my plan. So you're thinking, well, I, I no, no, we get to decide what we're going to do. We're going to decide. 
We can vote on it, but you know what? Sometimes we can vote and be wrong. There was a time when ten folks said we can't go into the promised land and two said we can. And guess what happened? They spent 40 years in the wilderness because the democracy in the day didn't work. We need to listen to the voice of Jesus. Build on the foundation. Jesus said this, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Who is the rock? Not that guy. Who is the rock? Jesus. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it didn't fall. Why? Because it had been founded on the rock. Church, I'm here to tell you, our foundation is sure. There is no question about that. The question is, what are we building on top of it? Wood, hay, stubble? Gold, silver, precious stones. May we be people who align ourselves with God's perfect will. And then finally, we clearly identify whose we are. Whose are you? Whose are you? You know, there's a... I lived for nine years in Indiana. You know, they're called Hoosiers. You know why they're called Hoosiers? Because they don't know who they are. But that's a different story. They're called Hoosiers because there was an old adage that said, well, they'd be asked, well, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? They, they wanted to establish that line of lineage. Who's your daddy? And that's how they got that word Hoosier. There's a couple other stories that go. But that's probably as good a one as any. But Hoosier, who's your daddy? I'm going to ask you this this morning. Who's your daddy? You know, every one of us have an image of ourselves. We see ourselves as tall, short, smaller, smart, not so smart. We see ourselves as thin or fat. You know, you can, I've, I've met people who were like 124 pounds and they go, oh, I'm so fat. And I go, oh, I feel, I feel so bad for you. I don't say it. I think it, we have an image of ourselves, don't we? We see ourselves in a certain way. And, 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 but stop for a moment and think about this. How does God see you? How does God see you? Worthless, useless, pitiful? I don't want him. No. The God of the, of the universe, the King of kings, the Lord of lords looks at you and says, you're mine if you've accepted him. You're somebody. Not because you think you're somebody, but because I say you're somebody. He says, you are special to me. God does not see you as worthless. He does not see you as pitiful. He does not see you as as amazing because you're an American or amazing because you live in New Boston or because you go to First Baptist or because you have this amazing marriage. None of that matters to him. Ultimately, he cares about who you are in him. He says, you're mine. And a healthy church goes, we're his. And we know that. See, when God looks at you, he looks at you. Uh, imagine these are rose-colored glasses. He looks at you through the lens of Jesus' shed blood. He sees you covered in his grace. And because of that, he says, you're mine. You're my child. You've been redeemed by the blood. 
You're somebody. You're special. So many of us think, well, I'm pitiful. I'm worthless. I'm no good. I'm just a sinner. I'm here to tell you I'm a person who sins, but I'm no longer identified as a sinner. I, my friends, are a saint of a living God, a child of the King. Healthy churches look at themselves and understand who they are. We're somebody. Not because we're somebody, but because we have Him. One more passage I want you to see. Later in this same letter to Paul, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So live however you want to. He says, no, glorify God. In your body, in your life, in your words, in your actions. This is true not only of believers, but those who gathered in churches everywhere. See, healthy churches and people understand we're a work in progress. We hadn't arrived, but we're his. He's at work in us. The question becomes, do you know him? Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted him. Maybe that's the place to start. For others, it's like, I, I know him, but I'm not really connecting to a body of believers. I'm going to be very biased, but I can think of no better place in New Boston than to be connected right here and to be a part of what God's doing in our fellowship. I want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. Maybe you need to trust Christ for the first time. love to pray with you right here at the front. Maybe you need to become part of this fellowship because you know Christ. We want to give you that opportunity as well. But let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we come before you thanking you for this day. And God, we we understand that healthy churches make a commitment to grow spiritually and are growing spiritually. It's not just something that they talk about, but it's actually happening. And Father, our commitment to you is ultimately reflected in our actions, what we do. So Father, I pray for those who need to trust you for the first time. Give them that faith to take a step. For those who need to commit their lives to this congregation, to become part of this fellowship, I pray that you give them that confidence as well. We pray for your hand to be free in these few moments. We want you to work as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing this song of response. We want to give you an opportunity to do so.